Welcome back to Tent Talks, everyone. We're so glad you could tune in today. We're so excited. We have a special guest today, and I'm going to let Stacy intro her. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I'm happy to be here and happy to introduce Lacey, our guest. She is a dear friend of mine and a fellow healer and truth seeker. She also is retired from the in-treatment mental health recovery industry. And today we're going to talk about a couple of really interesting topics like, can you force healing? Is it ethical? And also this really interesting paradox of how a lot of people join healing industries only to find their own healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that, hello, Lacey. Hi. Thanks, guys. Yeah, welcome. I, I'm just laughing at, I think, the term retired. I'm just like, yeah, that kind of feels good. Like, when do I get to sit on the beach, though, is what I'm wondering. <laughs> exactly. Because uh, they were some rigorous years. That I'm like, yeah, if I'm retired, when is, you know, my beach vacation coming? I'm ready for that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, let's let's talk about the beginning. Like, what got you into the industry, and yeah, what was the attraction, and what were you doing? Yeah, at the time, I was the ripe old age of twenty one years old, which I think in our culture, right, you've arrived at that point. You've you got it all sure. figured out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing at myself because I did feel that way at that time. But um, no, at the time I had interests in social work. That was something I was feeling really called to and, you know, an area that I knew I had a lot of interests in. And so I started working with a program that worked with at-risk teenage girls starting at the age of 21. And my whole world kind of opened up with that. I had grown up in Utah, Utah County, a Mormon girl. Small rural. Yes, uh, on literally a, a cattle ranch in the middle of Utah. So... It was really eye-opening to come into this program that worked with families from all over the country or even all over the world and to start helping them on their path to healing. Utah has a lot of these treatment centers, wouldn't you say? Yes, yes. And there are, there's a lot of dynamics that play like into that. There's a lot of laws that play into that, Mm. but yeah, um, that and we can get for you. Were it you was like, very exciting. This is a purpose, a calling for me. Yeah, I think you know from the culture that we kind of grew up in, right? Whether it was the grooming or the stories, right, that we were told um, of, you know, we are here to save, you know, the souls. Whether that is our neighbors or going across the world on a mission to teach people or whatever. And so I think in some way, I felt like, you know what I mean? I really found a purpose, right? And like working for this program and working with these families. And uh, I think something that really hooked me in in the beginning was this concept around families healing. I think that was something that was really familiar to me. Yeah. You know, when we talk about eternal families and what it takes, right? And these certain uh, check boxes, you know, that we have to do or these, uh, you know, get married in the temple, go on a mission, start your family, like all of these steps that we have to take together, all in the end, right? right? Yes. Like the end goal. Goal and journey. Yeah. Right? 
we have to do our part so ultimately our families can be together in the end, which um, to sum up this program that I worked for, same kind of concept, right? We have a child that is struggling that isn't, you know, maybe presenting, you know, in a way that we want or, you know, or just is struggling in general with their mental health. How many would you say come in with, you know, safety risks like they've attempted or they, the parents maybe fear their, their life, right? Um, many. I mean, I hate to put like a number on it, but I would say, um, I don't know, 70 to 80 percent. It wasn't uncommon for girls that we would have come to the program to have been in a different type of facility, like an inpatient facility. I think the average was about three different stays in different types of treatment centers before they would come to our program. Mm -hmm. And yeah, what they were dealing with was really wide across the board right from, you know, maybe just like an anxious school avoidant kid to, you know, somebody who is actively suicidal and really struggling in that way. And um, I think also it wasn't uncommon for our students to have had multiple hospitalizations from suicide attempts and things like that. The program was often described as kind of like a step down from a clinical setting like a psych ward. Because when I did start Back in the more earlier 2000s, there weren't a lot of programs that would take some of these higher risk students that were maybe more actively suicidal or uh, cutting was kind of something that a lot of programs would say, no, we don't deal with that. And uh, it was something we didn't shy away from, right? And so, yeah, it had a bit of a reputation as kind of like this step down from a psych ward. And so, yeah, the types of students, like I said, they could really vary from having some very severe, you know, safety needs that need to be met to maybe kids that are struggling with something completely different. So, Lacey, you're there. Mm -hmm. You're finding some familiarity. Like, I know this program. We're going to save the families, bring everyone together how did you find yourself in that company? How did you advance in the company? Like you had a lot of different jobs and you went all the way up to management and Mm -hmm. how did that happen? And what was your process? Yeah. I think the thing I've always, you know, said, I think about the leadership in the company or the company in general is they had a really good way of being able to acknowledge and see my strengths. And then I was provided with opportunities of leadership. And if I'm being honest, so like I'm this girl that comes from this Mormon background, right? That you know, uh, culture-wise, we have a lot of the women doing a lot of the busy work, right? But not having <laughs> a lot of those leadership roles or recognition or whatever. And so while, yes, this system felt familiar, there were also, like, pieces in place that felt good and supportive to me, right? Like You're finally getting seen. For the yes, absolutely. And so... I did. I think for a lot of years, I did feel really like supported in that way. And I felt like I said, like purpose and those kinds of things. But what I found over time is I moved up in leadership, you know, and I gain maybe more knowledge and things after time is the more I challenged the system or, you know, had resistance to maybe philosophies or maybe patterns or how we do things over the years, right? I was with this program 
over the course of like 14 years. But the kind of dynamic that I felt got troubling for me over time was I started in this program, like the ripe old age of 21. Um, I can now acknowledge, you know, as an adult, like that I was very vulnerable at that time, right? And I got really like caught up in a system like this. Did you really believe in it? Was it something there, you know, how you talk about purpose, being vulnerable yourself, right? thinking this is the way and, you know, we're going to heal these girls and get them back on track and heal these families, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was really clear and easy to see that, you know, and get really hooked into that vision, like right from the get go. Any given point in the program, you have both students that are there, you know, fresh and then students that have been there for some time or students that are going to be graduating that speak, you know what I mean? Really positively often of their experiences and things like that. And so yeah, it it did. It felt like it was wrapped up in a lot of purpose and we were helping these families and we were saving these families. And like I said, I think just something very familiar about it for me, right? And then the tables turned and you felt this shift and this tension of, right. I want to do what's best and aligned with my values. And I see some holes or some gaps in this industry. Right. And that's kind of where there became, I don't know, confrontation? Or- yeah, more tension, more confrontation, more efforts to keep the status quo how and where it needs to be going. Like we've done this a certain way for so long and we don't want people shaking up this system kind of thing. And I think the thing that was really hard for me over the years was kind of this concept of, you know, being so young and falling into this system was I was really kind of learning and healing um, alongside, right? A lot of these students or families, meaning I always joke that I've sat in on like more therapy like than I ever cared to again ever in my life, mm-hmm. <laughs> meaning I would sit in on, you know, these therapy groups or, you know, rec therapy or whatever for hours every week with, with these students. and parents. Students and parents, Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so naturally, you know, I am internally, right, taking in this information and processing and I am working on, you know, my relationships and my boundaries and, you know, you start to see patterns and things and whatnot. And so I think one of my biggest heartbreaks and maybe what is the most ironic thing is I gained so much, right, as far as experience and skills and then even personal knowledge of being able to process a lot of my own healing. But I think one of my biggest heartaches was to find out that the healthier I became within this system, this system no longer wanted me. And there's a lot of emotion there because it's rejection. Yeah, in a way like, when we outgrow like a a system, yeah, it's very lonely and painful. Yeah. And so that's kind of just always been like the thing I think as I've processed this with friends over the years has been kind of feeling like 
you created this monster, right? Like this thing that I have become, like this well-boundaried person that understands relationships and dynamics and what's healthy and things like that. This system, right? It taught me these things and built me up in this way. But when I actually sit in that integrity, right, of living that way, they no longer wanted me. I didn't fall into the system. And so it brings up this like really big question. And this is like kind of what I have been sitting with, right, is that these systems, particularly inpatient kind of systems, right, they require a lot out of the people that work within them, whether that is therapists, mentors, nursing staff, things like that. And uh, there's a really high burnout rate, right, within these systems. This might be backtracking, but you know, if if I'm a mother bringing my teenage daughter to one of these treatment centers, kind of walk me through what I'm going to learn about what my kid's going to be doing every day. What's it going to be like? They're living accommodations, you know, school. Kind of explain to folks who don't know what these kind of residential treatment centers are like, what they're going to find. I don't know if I want to go there, right? Because, sorry, this is like more triggering than I thought. Yeah, thanks Um, for being honest. (laughs) Because there is going to be what I've told parents over the years, right? Is I've like talked to these vulnerable families and they've come into a program. Um, But I personally now am in a place of like more perspective and judgment and criticism and whatnot. And so, um, yeah, I can walk you through like what that looks like. I can't speak to what that experience is like for each of those people, though. Right. Maybe just the environment first, and then we can dive into how the system processes are kind of failing, right? Yeah. So as like a general, I guess, idea. So this home that I worked within, I had anywhere from 12 to 15 students, teenage girls ranging from usually like 15 to 17, but sometimes as young as 14 years old, they would all come and they would live in this home together and uh, essentially become part of this community of girls that live together, right? And within this community, there's shifts of mentors, right, that work 24-7 with these students that their purpose, right, is to kind of like help guide along their day. And these girls come and stay at this program anywhere from like uh, 8 to 12 months typically is like an average stay. And the hope being, I guess the easiest way to sum it up is um, that it's kind of like a therapeutic boarding school. The girls live there. They eat there. They go to school there. Uh, They actually have a school on campus that they go to every day where they go to class periods and teachers and things like that. But um Yeah, essentially kind of the concept is that they will find themselves in a community of peers. Um, There's a variety of peers that live within each of those communities. So like I mentioned, you may have a couple girls that have just been there 
you know, for a short period of time, you'll have, you know, a handful that have been there for a few months. And then you're obviously going to have ones that are later on in their stay. And so there often is a good mix of people, right? You've got your people that are just barely there, maybe a little bit more disgruntled, like about their situation. Um, and then you do have girls that have been there longer that are in more like leadership kind of roles. And what's a typical length of stay? A typical length to stay, I think by the time that I finished the program, I think is 12 months. That was pretty average, you know, but I did like witness and work with girls over the years that were there for much longer times. Uh, sadly, uh, more often than not, these were girls with pretty severe attachment issues that were at the program for a year and a half or even two years at a time. And with attachment issues and a high turnover rate of staff, yeah, that creates a perpetual cycle yeah. of trauma. Yeah. It's tricky. It, there's a lot to navigate and a lot to consider. So obviously, uh, for the first handful of years, I worked as a mentor. So I was one of those people kind of just like in working with the girls like day in and day out after time I was a supervisor, you know, and so I would train my staff that would work the girl with the girls and whatnot. But there were a handful of years. So I was more of a manager over a home. So like a program director. And I think where, you know what I mean? I get in more of a place of nuance and like seeing, you know, like both sides to the story because when I was more of a, in a director position, a lot of what my role was, was supporting and helping the parents, right? Mm -hmm. It was a lot of my staff supporting like and mentoring the students but there were a lot of years that I spent uh, being that first point of contact for these parents outside of just even their family therapists. So I was the person that these mothers were calling, you know, and expressing to me, like, have I made a mistake? You know what I mean? Like, is my daughter going to be alive tomorrow? Is she going to be okay? Like, please tell me that she's safe, those kinds of things. And so while there is part of me that feels very critical of this industry and I see the holes and I see the places and where we need to improve things, I have also had these really beautiful moments, right, of being able to love and support uh, these parents and particularly these moms and dads that have felt like they have no other options and are grappling with that. And so there is part of me that feels very sensitive in behalf of these parents, knowing that they probably still grapple with a lot of these same questions that I have, right? Which are ultimately, was this the right decision? Am I doing the best thing for my daughter, what other options do I have to help my daughter heal? You know what I mean? And that's different for every family. You know, in treatment, I think, is a necessity when safety becomes a question. Mm -hmm. And that gets really hard to facilitate in the home, right? And so no doubt, right, there's professionals that are trained that should be able to handle those kinds of situations. But yeah, there's part of me that... It feels hard to even feel critical 
of this program or this industry, knowing that it has been a lifeline for these girls or these parents at times. I think it goes back to this deeper question of are people playing a game and like rising the system through checking off all the boxes or are they really finding healing and can you force someone to heal? The ultimate answer to that is no. You can support people, but you can't force them to make those internal shifts and heal. Right. And Which so- is ultimately what I did alongside my students, right? Of like, okay, I'm understanding, right, some of these tools, right, that are going to help me like along my way. But ultimately, is the system going to give me what I need in the end, which is whatever it is we're seeking, like self-healing? Or is it that I've just learned, like you said, how to play the game? So for me, right? The game made sense when I was playing it, but when I became more, I guess, of an observer of the system, it didn't make sense for me to like fall into it anymore. Yeah. And keep my integrity. I guess I should, that's what it really yeah, came down to. Yeah, you could have chosen to keep playing the game and advancing, but, right. but you wanted to live with integrity in yourself by actually applying the tools and right. choosing. Right. And so I did take this period of time where I stepped down from my role, um, you know, like in an upper kind of management position to very intentionally uh, take some space to go. Um, I still remember talking right to my executive director and uh, telling him how I didn't feel like I was living in integrity anymore, knowing that I was showing up here, like working my guts out every day in behalf of helping uh, these families heal, all while feeling like any boundaries that I would put up around my personal time or space or my own family were constantly Uh, challenged or plowed over or annihilated is the word that I have found myself using over this past year that in order to work in a program like that, my boundaries had to constantly be annihilated. And so it's just, it's a tricky bind that you get put in, right? I'm literally participating in this program where I'm challenging these families to identify their values and live by their values all while mine have to get put on the back burner, essentially. And even when I do show up and I try to have my boundaries, right? Because that's where a lot of the gaslighting would happen with working within this system is, you know, we obviously are supportive of families. We're supportive of a work-life balance, all of those things. But uh, when push came to shove, like never in practice, if I put boundaries around my time, it was like, these students and these families need you at the end of the day. It, it exploited your 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 care for them. Well, and my work ethic. Yeah. And the reason being, right, the bind I would constantly be put in is like, these are your job expectations, right? And so then I would put boundaries around those expectations when they would ask more of me. 
And then it was the gaslighting. It was like, oh, if you feel burned out or overworked or whatever, you need to have better boundaries. And it's like, but I can only work within this system. It seems like if I let you guys plow my boundaries, like double binding, they tell you you can, but they don't actually respect when you use them. Right. Because they know at the end of the day, right? We can't have everybody having boundaries around their time or things, or a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week program cannot exist. How does it thrive if people aren't willing to make personal sacrifices? And so I was recently talking with a friend about these programs and how there tends to be a bell curve, right? Um, That you definitely have your people that start working within these systems that, you know, come with their heart on their sleeve and want to help and support, or perhaps even have these savior complexes that can only, you know, take them so far before the burnout of keeping kids alive, literally for 10, 11, 12 maybe $13 an hour nowadays. I don't know. I haven't Mm -hmm. been working there for a few years. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's glaring to me, right? At the end of the day, if they're not burning out and quitting the people that are remaining in these systems. So, you know, all the compassion for myself because I was one of these people, how could they possibly be doing it from a healthy place, from having healthy boundaries, right? So then it begs the question of these people that run these programs, are they really doing it from the healthiest place when these programs inherently require unhealthy people to work with these students in the trenches day in and day out for little money, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, what kind of people are going to sign up for this at the end of the day? And it's probably people seeking more out of this, seeking their own healing. You know, it's not, I'm sure you're not shy to the fact that people get in the healing industries, you know, because they are on this path of striving to find their own healing. Mm-hmm. Liz My and I heart both. Break, yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, deconstructed that on yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all very great and it gets, it gets tricky. And I wish I had the answer for, okay, if it's not this system, then what is it? Right. Because I don't have that answer. And that was, you know, I think where I was as I was interviewing over the pandemic and considering returning back to this industry in a more full-time capacity, you know, perhaps in an, on an administration team, that kind of thing. These were the questions I was bringing to the table in my interviews. Like I, you know, like I said, I make fun of myself almost of like, I'm a really fun interview, not Meaning because I would go and talk to these boards of people and say, listen, I've worked in this industry for some time. Like it's about due time. We look at this. Why are these mentors that work day in and day out, you know, with these kids who are just these college kids, maybe like studying psychology, don't have a degree or anything like that. Like, This is a broken system at the end of the day, which poses the question, can our students or our clients really 
find healing in a system that requires broken people at the bottom of it in order to thrive. Yeah. Right? Right. Isn't it true that basically every friend we have wants to open a healing center? (laughs) Like every single person I know is literally like, well, I just want a healing center somewhere where we can have psychology and body work and maybe, you know, like all these different pieces. Mm -hmm. Why can't we figure out how to do it? Well, it's such a big question. I think we know we we need these collective spaces. I think there's something when you're talking about, you know, the desperation of parents coming in, just they need a village, they need support, they're longing for it, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll we'll get it any way we can get it. We'll get it. And if we can't get it through people, we'll get it through drugs and we'll get it through things and we'll get it through money. But, you know, we're, they're just desperate, like... I need help. Mm-hmm. I need help with my family and my kids. And we and they we deserve it. We fail parents as a society, right? We fail them with the right support so that they even have to go mm-hmm. spend, you know, $50,000 a year or whatever on these places. And And that's a space. I think this thought is just now dawning on me. But When a person comes to us in crisis and in desperation, I can't tell you how many times I've been on those kind of phone calls, right, with parents, that that space is held as sacred and not as an opportunity, right? And it makes me think of like, marketing and these programs and the glossy hope that they offer because I've been on the other end of those phone calls when a parent has literally typed and Googled in, you know what I mean? What do I do like for my daughter? Right. And they've got me on the other line talking to them and I'm grateful for the ways that I was able to hold some safe space in some tricky scenarios in that way. Yeah. Um, but it also makes me really worried and really sad that there is an entire industry that perhaps is and perhaps isn't holding that space as sacred as it is when somebody comes to you and they say, I have tried everything and i don't know what to do with my daughter i feel like those people who got you were lucky (laughs) and i i feel like the sad thing that really gets to me is that you and so many are genuinely there trying to offer that for those families but again, that emotional work is almost being exploited. And are there people above you that are using that power irresponsibly to use you and your compassion? Yeah, no doubt about it. And they're benefiting off of what should be, you know, distributed more equally in the system because you work so hard. Right. It's no surprise to me that this essentially system I worked with in the workplace 
somewhat mirrored, right? This culture, this church that I came from where similar to my program, it was a lot of really talented women, right? Mm -hmm. Mentoring these girls, putting their hearts on the line, literally holding them like in their times of crisis and for not a lot of money and not a lot of recognition, but there were definitely, definitely men on top in the administration and in executive director positions, right? And that was something that was always funny to me, right? As a feminist of like, we are running a girl's program, right? And uh, the majority of our therapists are women and the majority of our mentors are women. And, you know, our night watch that come in you know, while the girls are sleeping, our moms from the local community keeping watch, making sure that they're safe. But in those rooms, in those places where the big decisions are actually happening, and when, like I said, I get in these interviews in front of these people, and I'm saying, I've been around here a while, and this is a problem, and it's about time we start addressing it, you know? It's often men mm-hmm. <laughs> that are at those tables that are saying, no, "No, you can keep doing it. We like it the way it is." We'll, yes, or we'll like, find somebody else. I'm getting a, a a big fat bonus right at the end of my year because you are going to your staff and you're making sure they clock out, you know, and aren't working. Heaven forbid. 15 minutes or 30 minutes over their allotted amount of time that they're allowed to work at their hourly wage while also, you know what I mean? Uh, supporting a student that, you know, is struggling in that moment or I don't know. There's just so many, like, you can't clock nuances. out. Yeah. You can't clock out right. When you have a student in Crying crisis. In arms, yeah. And so I think it was really disheartening for me as I worked up within the system to see what I now describe as a peek behind the curtain with the Wizard of Oz Mm -hmm. um, to see how the switches and flips are, or the, you know, buttons are being pushed and uh, and how things are actually operating, right? Yeah, the system needed to stay in place to keep working the way that it did, And maybe it worked well enough. I say that with quotes, right? But is it? Is it working well enough? Like, I don't know. It's really complicated. And the, I guess the part of your own heroine journey is when you, Lacey, a mom and a wife said, I'm going to say no to this family based business and say yes to my own family mm-hmm. and tend and mend to that healing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where you really chose your own healing journey, right? Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I would have chose it if I knew what was to come that day that I said, I got to go for a bit and I got to focus on me and my family for a while. I often joke about that of, if I knew how hard it really would be, I would never. <laughs> and that brings us to part two of this podcast is like you taking all of those things that you learned from the treatment residential center and bringing them to your own life and how that upheaved <laughs> everything. <laughs> 
And that's when Stacy came into the story. She got to witness all of it, so she knows what that looked like. <laughs> it was an upheaval in the most beautiful and brilliant way that I'm so grateful for. And I'm just still navigating. Yeah. I mean, it's messy. I I want to just though celebrate what you did still and say you still had an impact. You know, you had an impact on so many people's lives, whether or not the system was flawed or broken. You did. Thank you for saying that. Because <laughs> that is something I sit with a lot, yeah. right? Is that concept of even though this was flawed and if it's not perfect and even though I was flawed sure. and I was imperfect in this system, did I really leave an impact, right? And uh, it's not as black and white as I used to think it was. I think what I'm sitting with right now is I definitely left an impact. And I think for some of those students that was really positive and really healing. And I think for some of those students, I have no doubt, I personally left a negative impact because I was participating in the system that was not designed to support them in the way that they needed in that moment. And that's a lot of what I've been sitting with lately. Yeah, I wanna say same. Me too. Same, me too. Yeah, and too. and I, I love to be able to use my voice sometimes too maybe just broadcast out there to all the people that I harmed yeah, by the, the flaws in the system, by the flaws in the mindset, the way I was brought up, you know, I'm truly sorry, you know, mm-hmm. we're all learning, we're all yeah. learning wounded healers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wounded healers unite. <laughs> and then it does. Yeah. It brings up the big question of if it's not this, what do we create? Because if there's anything I think I was able to identify is something I feel passionate about is creating safe space. And over time, I was able to see this isn't the safe space where I can do the best kind of support or work and had to leave. And uh, I think the question I have been sitting with over this past year is if this isn't it anymore, how and where do I create these safe spaces for people to land? Because they're needed. And like I said, they're also very vulnerable and sacred. You know, I think we miss, I think something Stacy and I have talked about a lot is, is, you know, trusting ourselves as the kind of expert healer. And I think that's really what an authoritarian model misses is the co-creation and really trusting the individual that they know they just need the safe support, right? Mm -hmm. And not with so much of the structure and trusting them that when they're healed enough, they will co-create the structure that works for them. And I think trusting the other, trusting the wounded individual is something we struggle to do because we think we have the answers. Totally. We have the savior complexes. Mm -hmm. We come into it with, a preset mindset of what growth is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like how you've talked about just almost 
rebranding and repackaging these structures for people rather than really aligning with them and saying, I believe in you. Mm -hmm. You got the answers. You tell me when you're ready. Mm -hmm. And then you take over. I'll just walk by you. Mm. You give me a lot of hope. Yeah, I think it, it, we can we can do that, you know? I think that's what we want to do right here. And so in little communities, we can do it. In Coffee Tuesdays, we can do it, you know? Don't bring up Coffee Tuesdays. <laughs> Stacey already told I me about ball. it. <laughs> Talk yeah. about sacred spaces that can hold you. Yeah. That's what, what a gift. That's what we're missing. <laughs> That's what we're missing. Yeah. 